Both mourning and mizmor, elegy and song, Passover and Tisha B'Av, are woven into the Jewish experience and interconnected with one another. We eat the egg in the moments before Tisha B'Av and mutely mourn the past, and we place the egg on the Passover table and teach our children and focus on the future. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 215, The Egg of the Seder and Asaf's Song. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. Of all the holiday traditions that have evolved over the years, perhaps the most seemingly strange one is that of some Ashkenazic Jews to eat eggs at the Passover meal. This is done in deliberate parallel to a moment that appears to be the emotionally opposite experience of the Jewish year. You see, one traditional food of the Su'udah Mavseket, the last meal before the fast of the ninth of Av, before we mark the destruction of the temple, is for many bread, ashes, and eggs. Eggs eaten not at the family table, but by each individual alone sitting silently on the floor. The egg, we are informed in the Talmud, is a symbol of mourning, for it has no apparent opening. Thus, the mourner eats it without engaging in conversation pondering all the terrible tragedies that have occurred to our people in the past. Some Jews also eat eggs at the Seder, and all today put an egg on the Seder plate. Writing in the Shulchan Aruch, the traditional code of Jewish law, Rabbi Moshe Israelis notes that this connection is deliberate. It is our way of highlighting the fact that in the Jewish calendar, Passover and the ninth of Av always fall on the same day of the week each year. If the first day of the Festival of Freedom, one year, takes place on a Sunday, then the ninth of Av that year will occur then as well. The egg at the Seder expresses that Passover and the ninth of Av are forever linked. But why? What could be the connection between a day of salvation and celebration and a day of destruction? The answer may be found in one word, in one psalm. Starting with Psalm 73, we read a number of psalms that are linked to a Levite named Asaf. And while... Some of these are psalms of praise, similar to others we have seen. Several describe the destruction of Jerusalem, the events of the ninth of Av. And as we shall see, the openings of these psalms are important as well. Psalm 74 begins with the words, Maskil le'asaf, a maskil of asaf, or a maskil for asaf. The root of maskil is seichel, intellect. And some read this word as a reference to the fact that this psalm is a divinely inspired intuiting of the destruction yet to come. The psalm goes on. O God, why hast thou cast us off forever? Why doth thine anger smoke against the sheep of thy pasture? Remember thy congregation which thou hast purchased of old, the rod of thine inheritance which thou hast redeemed, this Mount Zion wherein thou hast dwelt. Lift up thy feet unto the perpetual desolations, even all that the enemy hath done wickedly in the sanctuary. Thine enemies roar in the midst of thy congregations, they set up their ensigns for signs. A man was famous according as he had lifted up axes upon the thick trees, but now they break down the carved works thereof at once with axes and hammers. They have cast fire into thy sanctuary, they have defiled by casting down the dwelling place of thy name to the ground. They said in their hearts, let us destroy them together. This is a description of the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Even more famous, perhaps, is another psalm, Psalm 79. And this begins with the phrase, Mizmor le'asaf, called not a maskil, but a mizmor, a song. But what is this song? As we go on, we may well puzzle the fact that such a song would be sung. O God, the nations are come into thine inheritance, thy holy temple have they defiled. They have laid Jerusalem on heaps. The dead bodies of thy servants have they given to be meat unto the fowls of the heaven. 
the flesh of thy holy ones unto the beasts of the earth. Their blood have they shed like water round about Jerusalem, and there was none to bury them. We are become a reproach to our neighbors, a scorn and derision to them that are round about us. How long, Lord, wilt thou be angry forever? Shall thy jealousy burn like fire? Pour out thy wrath upon the nations that have not known thee, and upon the kingdoms that have not called upon thy name. For they have devoured Jacob and laid waste his dwelling place. O remember not against us former iniquities. Let thy tender mercy speedily prevent us, for we are brought very low. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of thy name, and deliver us and purge away our sins for thy name's sake. Wherefore should the nations say, Where is their God? Let him be known among the nations in our sight by the avenging of the blood of thy servants which is shed. Let the sighing of the prisoner come before thee. According to the greatness of thy power, preserve thou those that are appointed to die. Hearing the plaintive cries of these words, we can ponder now again the opening word of the psalm noted by the rabbis. It is called a mizmor, which perhaps can merely be rendered psalm, but quite literally means a song. Should not the beginning description of these words call these verses a dirge rather than a mizmor? The answer, say the rabbis, in a bit of profound homiletical brilliance, is that even in the midst of terrible mourning, there is still one source of celebration, and that is the endurance of the Jewish people and God's covenant with it. The point, and I'm elaborating here on the original rabbinic teaching, is that when we study the prophets, we know well that the destruction of the temple, as Jeremiah described, was in response to the sins of Israel. But in the end, it was the temple that God chose to destroy, rather than Israel itself. And therefore, in the midst of wailing for the temple, we still mark the fact that the endurance of God's people continues, as it will until the temple is restored again. So many in this context quote the reflections of Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik, who draws on this rabbinic teaching by noting that paradoxically, while the ninth of Av is the saddest Jewish day of the year, it is on the afternoon of this day that our engagement with consolation begins. In the afternoon service of Tisha B'Av, we recite in the silent Amidah prayer, a plea to God, Nachem, at Zion, console those that mourn for Zion, those that weep for the temple, those that continue to long for what we call in Hebrew the Beit HaMikdash, the home of God, the throne of God that has been destroyed. Consolation begins even on the day in which we mourn desolation. Rabbi Soloveitchik further noted that the rabbis drew on the Book of Lamentations in referring to Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av, as a moed, a Hebrew word usually reserved for festivals. On the ninth of Av in the afternoon, Rabbi Soloveitchik notes, we mark the fact that God destroyed the temple as punishment instead of us. We thus weep for the temple, but we mark the continuity of Knesset Yisrael, the congregation of Israel. Rabbi Soloveitchik put it this way, quote, God, however, in his mercy and grace, subjected his throne, the Beit HaMikdash, rather than the Jewish people to disgrace, abuse, and destruction. It is for this reason that Tisha B'Av contains an element of Moed, a festival. God rendered his decision on Tisha B'Av that Knesset Yisrael is an eternal people and will continue to exist. The Beit HaMikdash was humiliated, profaned, and destroyed in order to save the people. This concept, Rabbi Soloveitchik continued, is expressed halakhically in the character of Tisha B'Av afternoon. The second half of the day has a contradictory nature in halakha, on the one hand, the Avelut, the morning, is intensified because the actual burning of the Beit HaMikdash commenced in the late afternoon of the ninth day of Av, and the flames continued throughout the tenth. On the other hand, Nachem, the prayer of consolation, is recited in the Amidah for Mincha in the afternoon. At that moment, Rabbi Soloveitchik added, it became clear that God decided to take the collateral, the Beit HaMikdash, 
instead of pursuing the real debtor, the Jewish people. Paradoxically, once he took away the Beit HaMikdash in the afternoon of Tisha B'Av, the Nechama, the consolation, could begin. Tisha B'Av is a day of limitless despair and boundless hope and faith, end quote. So Rabbi Soloveitchik writes, and we can now understand why it is not inappropriate to connect the ninth of Av and Passover. For what is Pesach, if not a celebration of how our relationship with God has allowed us to endure? We can thus understand the sublime symbolism of the egg, which marks the mourning of the Jewish people and the temple's destruction, but also on Passover, our celebration, hinting how even on Tisha B'Av, in the midst of mourning, there is also in the Jewish story a call for Mizmor. The truth is that we know what makes an egg so extraordinary. Though it does not seem to have an opening, ultimately one will be forged in the seemingly seamless shell as new life miraculously emerges from it. And this too has been expressed by some rabbinic commentaries explaining why the egg is placed on the Seder table and why for many families it is eaten at the meal. Egg in Aramaic is be'ah, which also means desires, and thus the egg expresses our hopes and our dreams for future redemption. Both mourning and mizmor, elegy and song, Passover and Tisha B'Av, are woven into the Jewish experience and interconnected with one another. We eat the egg in the moments before Tisha B'Av and mutely mourn the past, and we place the egg on the Passover table and teach our children and focus on the future. Some even eat the egg on Passover as a parallel to the day of mourning. The Jews illustrate how a people can relive its tragedies with such extraordinary agony and memory, but the Jews also love life and celebrate life and they celebrated their festivals in their homes even when they were persecuted and exiled throughout the earth. The truth is that the two days of the egg, Passover and Tisha B'Av, are bound up with each other. When we celebrate Pesach and mark with exquisite joy the opportunity to relate the Haggadah to the next generation, then we truly grasp the tragedy of the countless homes throughout Jewish history that were destroyed, that lost forever the opportunity to celebrate a Seder. When we mourn on the ninth of Av, we grasped how generations of Jews gave their faith their last full measure of devotion. And then our Pesach celebrations are endowed with new meaning, for we feel our responsibility to the sacrifices of the past to ensure that they were not in vain and that the Torah and the observances of the Jewish people continue on this earth. And in the midst of it all, on both the ninth of Av and on Pesach, we ponder the fact that a nation that lost its temple never ceased to hope for its rebuilding and restoration, and that a people that suffered nevertheless found reason to rejoice and were inspired in faith through the miracle of their endurance. The egg, the food of Tisha B'Av, is on the Seder plate. And as we have pointed out in an earlier lecture, the image of Jeremiah as painted mourning the destruction by Michelangelo was ultimately placed in Passover Haggadot to symbolize instead a Seder celebrant, the wise son or Rabbi Akiva. Destruction and endurance, tragedy and eternity, the capacity to mourn and thereby never forget, as well as the capacity to celebrate and to look towards the future, all together capture the heart of Judaism, bound in the dialectic that is found in the fascinating phrase, mizmor le'asaf, words which for the rabbis explain why we mourn, but also why we as Jews continue to mark festivals today with so much joy. This is Mayor Salavechuk, looking forward to learning together tomorrow, signing off.